I am recording. I am recording. I'm recording. I am also recording. Hazel is recording on my behalf. Yes, I am recording. The big red light, which I think is a good thing. Roger that. <laughs> All systems by Fox. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast today. We've got Dan Watkins, Ian Mayer, Andy Chandler, Peter Johnson, John Farman, and I'm Hazel Burton. Our show today is a recommendations special. So we've got six nerds with us today and we've all got uh, movies and TV shows and all sorts that we want to talk about. So we're going to focus on recommendations. So let's start the show. Q banter. <laughs> So I was I was thinking, Hazel, you and Andy have both had the COVID nineteen, correct? Well, n- so, not yeah. sure, not sure, but yeah, probably. Yeah, I think like you're like superheroes now because you're immune to this virus. You've already had it. You can't give it or catch it. So really, you should be going like out and about and helping people and solving crimes and shit. <laughs> what sol- solving crimes and shit? <laughs> yeah, like you're the only person that can come within two meters of a, of a burglar. That's just how Batman started, you know, his parents died, so he went around the world learning martial arts so he could solve crimes and shit, as he put it. <laughs> That's my understanding of all superhero comics. Sure. Yeah, we could do that. Are you going to do that? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm feeling too lazy. I'm just trying to think of what crime I could actually solve, because I am probably the least observant person in the world. Mm. You could possibly get away with committing a few. What would you commit? Oh, I might drive above the speed limit. That'll be fun. <laughs> 41 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. Given my powers of COVID immunity, I'm going to ride a bus. <laughs> Maybe press a button on a, side, on a crosswalk. <laughs> Exercise more than once. <laughs> Though this is assuming we don't count kidnapping as a crime, of course, Hazel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that, that would be on top of the charges <laughs> when they open the car boot. <laughs> You can just snuggle up to Chris Hemsworth and go, it's safe. It's very safe with me. Not that safe. Uh, yeah, that would involve trying to get to Australia, though. Is that where he is at the moment? I assume he's being a diligent citizen and being at home. He's a real-life superhero. Is the tracker that you put on him not working? <laughs> I, yes. Good point. I don't assume. I know for a fact. Is that enough banter? <laughs> Sufficient banter. <laughs> Banter achieved. So, on to our recommendations section, and this is where we talk about uh, something that we've been enjoying recently. It can be something old or new, um, but we're enjoying it right now. Um, who would like to go first? I'll go first, if that's all right. I'm incredibly glad to have a job which is largely unaffected by COVID, but I'm having a little bit of trouble concentrating while working at home. I often need a little distraction, just something different and interesting to occupy me for a few minutes. And I've found this and I wish to recommend the perfect solution to this this particular problem. And that is a YouTube channel by a chap named Tom Scott. Oh, yeah. T-O-M-S-C-O-T-T. He's best described as a British internet personality, but please don't let that put you off. He's not a dick. He's not some vapid, um, nonsense-spewing reactionary artist. Uh, He was formerly a presenter on a short-lived Sky Technology show called Gadget Geeks, and he's been running his own YouTube channel since 2006. 
And this channel has hundreds of uh, informative slash educational videos on just an impossibly broad range of topics covering technology, language, history, interesting places, strange events, science, law, and many other things. And the videos are generally all bite-sized. Many or most of them are under five minutes long. So they're perfect for a little distraction um, in, in between work tasks. They're really engaging. Tom Scott himself is an excellent presenter and he comes across as knowledgeable and accessible. He seems like a totally normal guy, displays no ego whatsoever, and he's really just there to convey information rather than to put himself over. So he's very likable and you want to listen to what he's got to say. The videos themselves have very strong production values. They're not unnecessarily flashy. Uh, they're smartly scripted, well edited, and they've got effective graphics where helpful, but they don't call attention to themselves. They're really just find an interesting story and present it to you, and it's quick and, and satisfying. They're often filmed on location. He goes all around the world. It's a very successful channel with, I think, about 2.5 million subscribers. Uh, so he does make a lot of money off this, so he can travel to Chernobyl or somewhere weird to tell you how to visit Chernobyl or um, how to run away from a radioactive <laughs> raccoon or whatever it would be. Sometimes he's in a studio, sometimes he's got a green screen. There's a lot of variation there. They always seem to cite sources, and I get the impression that everything's well-researched and reliable. Examples of the videos on the channel are, so, you've learned to teleport, what counts as a mountain, how the Netherlands stopped the wind, do the numbers on toaster dials mean minutes, 10 illegal things to do in London, why California's musical road sounds terrible, and what is sea level anyway? Uh, so, great deal of variation. Um, Peculiar topics, and you can just jump in, watch for a couple of minutes, uh, learn something interesting. It's presented in this really engaging way, um, and it's perfect for, you know, that peculiar purgatorial state of feeling really bored, but not knowing what to choose from the mountains yeah. of streaming content available. <laughs> Very well. <laughs> Give it a go, and I, I absolutely guarantee that you'll find at least one thing to keep you busy, and probably many more than that. I have to say, those titles sound like a, a four-year-old that's just discovered. <laughs> <laughs> what is a mountain? What is time? Who is California? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not especially clickbaity, but they do have slightly odd titles like that, that that draws you into wondering why are they even asking that question. But they do seem to have proper information. It's not just weird speculation. All, all of these topics as well seem to be things I wouldn't have considered before. So there's there's not really much uh, ground that I've seen covered. Yeah. I don't know what sea level is. I, I <laughs> didn't either. It's, 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 the answer is it's complicated because um, Earth isn't a perfect Ooh. sphere. It's an oblate spheroid. Or flat. And, um, you, sh <laughs> sure. <laughs> don't forget Allegedly. the turtle. <laughs> um, and and it, it varies um, all over the place. Uh, I, I can't remember, actually. I've watched so many of these that everything's bleeding together and I can't draw specific <laughs> facts uh, to the front of my mind. Um, but there's uh, go go watch go find out. So, is there a specific way to run away from a radioactive raccoon? Because my Very technique fast. would be, oh my god, <laughs> a glowing raccoon, and then run. These titles, which John was rubbishing, seem to have done the trick. Because <laughs> you're both like, well, how how does that work? What happens? I wasn't rubbishing them. I was just saying they, they sounded a little like a hyperactive toddler. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to second the recommendation. I, th I think he's really good. I th mm. I've enjoyed every one I've seen of his. And um, I'm quite pleased to hear there's sounds like there's a bunch I haven't seen yet. That means I can go and track them down. There's absolutely loads. 
tons of them. One of the subjects I remember was things like why are British three pin plugs so great? Yeah, <laughs> it's all on yeah. the mechanics and the mechanical design of it and wh- how it tries not to electrocute you and stuff like that. Mm. They're all really good, and it just amazes me that he hasn't had a, a more mainstream job as a TV presenter. I think I'd seen him before that one you mentioned. I think he got that as a result of the uh, YouTube channel. Quite possibly, yeah. I've had a quick look at him on Wikipedia. His channel went live in 2006. He started doing educational videos in 2009. And um, Gadget Geeks ran for one season in 2011. Uh, So very likely that he was picked up as a presenter from his work on the the interwebs. Do the numbers on a toaster equate to minutes? No, but maybe yes. <laughs> no, they, they, they don't. Um, uh, there was, Didn't realise it, was... it was a religious question. <laughs> <laughs> Can anybody invent a toaster where there's more than a millimetre change in the wheel between raw bread and cinder? <laughs> That's how you'll make your millions, John. Yeah. Or a toaster that warns you that your partner or son has come and altered the dolls when you weren't looking and now your bread will be toasted <laughs> to a crisp. <laughs> There's nothing worse than being in lockdown and your last two slices of bread get charred. <laughs> There's a few things worse than that, but yeah, few, I see what yeah. you mean. <laughs> so Andy, how many unexpected facts would you give it out of 10? Um, I'd give it nine unexpected facts out of 10. And I can't really think of a reason why I'm not saying 10. It's just that I haven't gone through them all yet. That's a really bad justification. 10, 10 out of 10. Who's <laughs> <laughs> uh, next, Dan? I would like to recommend something that uh, arrived on Netflix in the past couple of weeks, and it's called Middle Ditch and Schwartz. It's something that Mm. we're probably all at least a bit familiar with because it's three completely improvised comedy specials. And those of us here on the podcast are either regular improv performers, we either go to workshops or we go and watch improv quite a lot. And I don't know about anybody else, but I've been missing it during this time of lockdown and virtual stuff is great but it's not quite the same as being in a room full of people when it's happening and middle ditch and schwartz has filled that gap for me Uh, it's three episodes where thomas middle ditch who's best known for silicon valley and ben schwartz who's best known for parks and recreation get on stage they have a bit of a conversation with one member of the audience find out a bit about them and then do a 45-minute, two-hander, long-form, improvised story. And it's brilliant. And I love it for lots of reasons. They've got fantastic comic timing. They're a great partnership. You can see them trying to make each other laugh, which more often than not works really, really well. They reincorporate all the suggestions. They never lose track of where they need to go. They find games. They have great characters. They're able to adopt each other's characters and you know who they're playing by where they're standing. So it's great use of physical spacing and staging as well. And it's just great, funny improv. And the second episode particularly is my favourite, which is called Law School Magic. And my other half and I were crying laughing during that episode. It was just so funny. I think my favourite thing about it is the fact that the reason it shouldn't work is actually one of the big reasons it does work. And that's that improv, more often than not, is something that you experience in the moment, live, 
in that room, either as a performer or as a member of the audience. And I think Ben Schwartz actually says this in the introduction to the first episode. Usually these shows are for you in that room and you experience it. It's totally made up. And once it's finished, it's over and you're the ones who were there for that show. But somehow through great production, great filming, great editing, they've made these three episodes of improv on TV feel like you're there in the moment with them. And I don't know exactly how they've done it, but they've managed it. And it's really, really great. I love it. Mm, Sounds good. Has anyone else seen it? Yes. I haven't, but I'd say improv on TV generally, you think of whose line is it anyway? So very short, gamey. But this is telling one story over 45 minutes. Yeah, it's a 45-minute long form with the two of them. It's one story and no breaks, no gimmicks, really. It's just the two of them playing the characters. They've got a couple of chairs and it works as you would watch an improv duo from UCB or a great long-form act on stage. And it is their live show just filmed. It just really, really works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Rather than some of the extraordinary suggestions that you would sometimes get in an improv show, they're all very realistic based on a real-life experience, but they can still do a lot with those and bring them to life. Out of reality comes hilarious stuff. Really, really good. Uh, having performed a bit, I find it absolutely aspirational. Like they, they are amazing narrative performers. And it's great having another show to tell people about that's not whose line is it anyway that shows a bit more of what <laughs> improv can be. I've recommended this to like a bunch of my family as being closer to the type of improv a, a few of us have done together, and none of them have watched it because they hate me. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, I don't think I've ever seen a single one of your relatives at any show you've been in. No. <laughs> no one I'm lack related of invite. to. No one I'm related to has been to one of my shows. My darling and adoring wife, who for all you know is made up has never been to a show (laughs) my my brother was meant to be coming to one but he cancelled that trip for some reason um yeah but i i i mean basically the uh fabric of lies that is my life would unravel the moment you met anyone (laughs) who's connected to me um anyway outside our social group i remember daniel's parents coming to see a show for i think the first time and Daniel taking me to one side beforehand and saying, do not say anything horrible, do not swear. <laughs> Basically, do not be yourself, John, in any way for the next 45 minutes. Did you speak that evening? I he did. He performed the character of clean, family-friendly John absolutely perfectly. Um, it was a remarkable feat of method acting, and I applaud him for it. Yeah. But Ian's right. Middle Ditch and Schwartz is aspirational improv. I watched it thinking, these guys are really, really great. You watch it wishing you were as good as they were and at the same time knowing you never will be but enjoying how good they are anyway. And that for me is the mark of really good improv. They're able to again capture that live feeling on screen and I hope one day I will get to see them live. Yeah. How many um, off-the-cuff improvisations would you give it out of 10, Dan? Oh, it's the full 10 off-the-cuff improvisations from me. Oh, 10 out of 10. Just really, really good entertaining stuff high scoring round so far yeah mm. splendid yeah i would second that it, it is amazing definitely check it out if you haven't already may i go next because my uh recommendation segues very nicely into the last one by all means because it features ben schwartz the comedian who i'd never even heard of before starting my lockdown binge watch 
which is I had never seen Parks and Recreation until Ooh. now. Shame. So shame. Yeah, this could be a shameful gap. And for some reason, I'm, I find myself inside a lot more recently. And I've taken that <laughs> opportunity to... Get out um, more, Ian. Get out more. I do go out. I, I do my government-mandated <laughs> exercise. And let me tell you something. These people who say they enjoy exercise, what's wrong with them? The only, people, the only people who enjoy exercise are psychopaths and liars. I want that on record. <laughs> Ridiculous. Anyway, um, so Parks, uh, Parks and Recreation is a sitcom set around the uh, fictional American county of Pawnee, and specifically the government administration who look after the parks and like social areas of Pawnee. I had been recommended this for years and I never quite seen it. Like it was on Sky, then it went off briefly and I didn't want to like join at season three. It wasn't on Netflix. It hasn't been on streaming services or it's skipped around a little bit, but I found it's all on uh, Amazon Prime and people always warn me that season one wasn't great. And I always hate that. I hate, oh, watch this thing. You'll have to watch 15 episodes and then you'll start enjoying it. It's like, I don't have time for that. Okay, I do have time for that, but I like to pretend I don't have time for that. So anyway, I started watching this show and I've fallen absolutely in love with it. Yay. Amy Poehler had knew as a performer, I've seen her in many things, and she's always struck me as having a bit of grit, a bit of bite to it, and I'm sure she does. However, Leslie Nope is a saint. And I, have, <laughs> I, I adore Leslie Nope, the, the, the try-hard, dependable, warm heart of the show. Often in comedy, and I've said this about other shows, you kind of want things to go wrong. You want calamity, because that's where the humour is. Here, you just want everyone to win. And it yeah. amazes me that I am kind of falling for the cast as heavily as I am. I get the impression season one was meant to be a darker show than it turned out. There's a bit more meanness in season one. Like uh, Mark, who I think is Leslie's sort of on-off boyfriend, is a bit of a... Forgot about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a, yeah. a really sleazy character who like, treats her badly. He treats this angel badly, and he was rightly <laughs> dropped from the series. Um, it's, it's very interesting watching characters which lots of people I know quote, reference, really enjoy, like almost become themselves. Another thing which just amazed me is just the, the kind of depth of the cast. They're all really, really funny, and it just keeps topping itself. I'm in season four now, and Paul Rudd just turned up. <laughs> Paul yeah. Rudd! Bobby Newport. Ant-Man! My comments on this show would be a string of superlatives. The, uh, a few things I have noticed. Um, Anne Perkins, played by Rashida Jones, is kind of the normal character in the show. Yeah. And she feels mm. kind of underutilised, but without someone like that, the show would just spin off into space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The introduction of Ben and Chris in yeah. season two i think the end the end of season yeah. two is just an amazing level up for the show it, it yeah. sort of became itself yeah. then but also watching those two characters evolve is really weird i'm sort of middle towards the end of season four chris traeger is far goofier than he was when he first joined the show this is rob Lowe, yeah rob Lowe, yeah, yeah. a manager who always says yes to anything is obsessed with his own health yet somehow somehow doesn't come across as entirely narcissistic and i'm not quite sure how he pulls that off but he becomes a far goofier and kind of emotionally less stable character as time goes on <laughs> literally and ben <laughs> and ben wyatt who had been the mayor of a small town when he was 18 and mm -hmm. bankrupt the town and gone into government service and is moving around the country kind of repairing things and repairing departments 
watching his evolution is amazing as well. He's gone from being extremely capable, diligent, very much likable to like an absolute nerd. Watching him um, cry in a Batman costume, I, I can't, <laughs> I've, I've rarely felt such sympathy for an on-screen character. I've rarely felt connected so clearly uh, to someone. I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying it, guys. I think it may be the perfect lockdown watch. Yeah, the episodes come in at about twenty-five minutes. You can watch them over lunch as you have a sandwich or down a gin or whatever it is we're all doing at lunchtime. In my mind, I'd always sort of roped it in with like community, I want to say, as being yeah. something with a similar mm-hmm. premise, with a similar kind of feeling level of cast. I think this is the better show significantly. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I couldn't quite put my finger on why, because they do do silly things. They don't quite do as much as community do. They'll, they'll go for the gag over character. Like, how mean everyone is to Jerry feels like a leftover gag from season one. I mean, again, Jerry, I find him quite relatable. He uh, broke his arm trying not to drop a burrito once, which, again, we've we've all been there. But, um, <laughs> like, there's no way Leslie Nope would actually be that mean to anyone in her office. But it's a very funny gag, so they let it run. It's just, it's a very well-structured and performed comedy and... Uh, just the warmth of it is something I'm thoroughly enjoying in these isolationist <laughs> times, shall we say. My parents have chosen it for their lockdown binge watch. Splendid. And it is now my mum's favourite show of all time. She feels like <laughs> all the characters are her friends and it's like her go-to comfort watch. She's already planning to re-watch it from the start as soon as she's finished. We watched the recent reunion special just a few days ago. We felt a tear in our eyes seeing all of these characters together again. I wouldn't recommend watching it just yet, Ian, because it does give you some spoilers for the end of the run. I'll avoid it. But once you've finished it all, do watch that one because there are some moments that do make it feel like you're joining in on a web chat, just like we're doing now with a bunch of friends who are happy to see each other. I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things the special really reminded me of was how great the cast were. It warms your heart, does Parks and Rec, and I love it. Just before we go, I want to say two of my favourite jokes within Parks and Rec. One is a repeated joke, which is that Ron Swanson's personality dissolves when he's in the presence of particular women. And that is (laughs) remarkable. (laughs) It's such beautifully performed comedy. It's amazing. And I may have found what I believe is one of the single funniest seconds of comedy that has ever been put to TV, which is Leslie Nope high on Nutrium bars, slamming her face against a window and screaming, yeah, <laughs> after, <laughs> after not sleeping for about 48 hours and eating nothing but sugar. It's remarkable comic timing and it will get me every time. Not a recommendation, but any Parks and Rex fans um, might want to check out a film we watched the other night called They Came Together. I don't know if anyone's seen this, and it's um, is it a porn film? A film starring. I was about to say that. Is it a porn film? <laughs> the, the title is a deliberate double entendre, but it's um, Amy Poehler and Paul Rudd, and it's a kind of parody of romantic comedies, a little airplane style humor in places. It's not amazing, but if you like Parks and Rec, it's got a lot of the same actors, and I mean, it's eighty-three minutes, and we laughed ten times during it. So if you want to expand your Parks and Vec universe... Is that good? I would recommend Yeah, that's that. like a laugh every 10 minutes. How, how many times do you expect to laugh in an hour and a half? No, well, we, we sniggered. We laughed out loud 10 <laughs> times. 
Now, I have seen this. Uh, it was years ago, and I can't remember why I didn't like it, but I don't think I laughed once. Mm-hmm. One decent joke in it was the romantic comedy cliche of they each have a, a shared quirk that, oh my God, you like this as well, was um, that you like fiction books? <laughs> and um, Ed Helms's character. The other boyfriend. He belittles Amy Poehler's character for liking fiction. And he keeps saying, it's not real. It didn't happen. That was, I thought, the, the only thing that was close to funny. Yeah, I think you've got to be in the mood for it. It's, uh, if you enjoy sort of Airplane and Top Secret, that kind of humour, it runs throughout it. So how many tiny horses out of ten, Ian? <laughs> uh, little Sebastian, we knew the hardly at all. Um, right now, it's, it's hovering at eight, nine. Uh, it's definitely very high up, but I want to keep going with it. I will reserve judgment until I'm completely in love right at the end. I'm going to keep the Parks and Rec theme going via Nick Offerman in a very, very different role. So my recommendation is Devs. Ah. The new eight-part science fiction series from Alex Garland, who wrote um, Dread and wrote and directed one of my favourite films of the last couple of years, which was Annihilation and Ex Machina as well. So he's got a history of interesting sci-fi projects, but this, I think, is his first time working in TV. And he wrote and directed all eight episodes. We start off with a guy who works for a IT company run by Nick Offerman in full wild man, lockdown, long hair, beard mode, who discovers that the company is up to something shady and as a result is offed by Nick Offerman and his henchmen. His girlfriend tries to get to the bottom of this mystery. So it turns out that Nick Offerman's IT company is working on a machine that does some very interesting and unusual things that could have potentially massive implications for mankind, I think it would be fair to say. This goes on really to the series talking about proper real sci-fi ideas about determinism and multiverses and fates, and it handles these in a proper, real, grown-up manner. It's, it's, it's really interesting philosophically where it goes. Nick Offerman's character is brilliant. I would say in the first episode, you would think he's an out-and-out villain, but has his motives come to light? He becomes a much more complex and interesting character in terms of what he's doing and why he's doing it. It looks amazing. The set design, sound design is brilliant. You're on tender hooks all the way through. There's one stink on it, unfortunately, though. It's that the lead actress for me was just awful. She's very unemotional. Yeah, I don't know whether she's directed that way, but she seems to be emotionless throughout it all and not really conveying what is happening to her. Dan, you've seen this all the way through. What do you think? I think that's a deliberate choice. It's the ideas rather than the characters, I think, that is the preoccupation Mm. of the series. Yeah. If you look at Nick Offerman's character, his character is very emotional and beautifully played. You get the real feeling of like the emotional torment he's in. And you don't get any of that with her. Yeah, but his emotional state is very, very tied into what the devs department of his company is doing. Mm -hmm. So the technology and the character are very, very closely related. I'm not sure whether you could understand him without understanding what he's trying to do. And I'm not sure you could understand what he's trying to do without understanding him. But that's Mm -hmm. the sort of thing I really liked about watching devs. It's the first series for ages, it feels like, where you really want to talk about it and discuss it at length with people and talk about the ideas, the mysteries of it and the background of it and the questions he's asking and the challenges he's posing. Like you say, it's very, very 
grown-up sci-fi with big ideas. He's not spoon-feeding it to you as an audience, but at the same time, it's not so opaque and ambiguous that you've got no idea what's going on. (laughs) Westworld. Yeah. Uh, Season two, season three gets better. Um, For me, it's just complicated enough, and it's a very fine line between spoiling it by explaining too much and spoiling it by not explaining anything and devs just hits that sweet spot of being mm-hmm. the right amount of challenging there was oddly enough some moments of it that reminded me of the good place in the way that they take a philosophical or logical argument and manage to demonstrate it in a way that doesn't feel dull so it, it takes you know quite complicated arguments about like a multiverse for example and always remains entertaining but um yeah i absolutely loved it with the 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 caveat of the lead actress which for her to be the least interesting character in the show i think is a a little bit of a shame it almost shows how good the other things in the show are Mm -hmm. that you can get past that (laughs) they're still interested in all the other things it has to say a large part of it is nick offerman alison pill and the supporting characters the other people who work in the department are all really interesting as well Mm -hmm. and i don't know whether it was because i was that more caught up in it but I didn't notice it with this main character. Or maybe it's just that the side characters were that much more interesting. The soundscapes, mm-hmm. they're amazing. The music in particular, sort of creating an atmosphere for the world and making it seem like something different and strange is happening. If you took the music off, it wouldn't feel at all the same. Yeah, and that was the thing with Annihilation as well. The sound design on Annihilation was amazing. If you saw Annihilation on a, a big screen with a decent sound system, it's a completely different experience to watching it on Netflix. I absolutely love Dev's. Ian Mayer, I think I would recommend it highly to you. I think you'd find a lot to enjoy in it. I do really like Alex Garland as a genre writer. Mm -hmm. He also wrote 28 Days Later, wrote Dread, wrote Sunshine. Was it The Beach as well? Yes. Yeah, um, The Beach was his novel, which was how he got famous, The Beach and Tesseract. But he's clearly a massive nerd. He's done games writing, you know what I mean? He's at a level where he doesn't need to. It's certainly because he kind of wanted to be involved with that process. Um, and this kind of beautiful films with big ideas is something I definitely get behind. Don't put it on as we did a couple of times, sort of late at night, where you're not really paying attention. You need to be a, you need to be switched on for that. I don't think I'd recommend a binge watch for it either. Mm-hmm. It's one of my series of the year, but I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much if we ploughed through all eight in one go. Yeah, it's very very dense. A week apart is probably also too long, though. Somewhere between the two. Mm-hmm. So, how would you rate it, John? I would give it nine overly complicated technical devices out of ten. (laughs) (laughs) Peter, do you want to go next? Uh, Yeah, I'll lower the average score of the recommendations this time a little bit with mine. I've chosen this mainly because I think it's interesting and there's stuff to talk about, rather than necessarily as an all-out recommendation. And that's Extraction, which has just come to Netflix. It's a Chris Hemsworth-starring action movie. It's based on a graphic novel called Quidad. It's the first film directed by Sam Hargreave, who was Chris Evans' stunt double as Captain America. But it's written and produced by the Russo brothers of Infinity War and Endgame fame. Hemsworth plays Tyler Rake, a former black ops soldier turned mercenary, who's hired by India's biggest drug lord to rescue his son, who's being held ransom in Bangladesh. I found it a very mixed bag. On the plus side, it was nice to see very different looking locations. It obviously wasn't filmed in the usual Hollywood backlot. And the movie's strong suit is an amazing action sequence after things start to go wrong, which is filmed as one apparent long take for 10 or 15 minutes or so. And it follows the action in and out of cars in a hectic car chase, 
going in and out of the car several times to seize things from the street standpoint and then jumping back in the car with them. Then at other times they'll jump out the car and go into a building and it'll follow them around there and they'll be having a fight with lots of people. They'll be running into rooms and there'll be people not expecting them going, ah! And then they'll run into <laughs> someone else who's taken the long way around and that is by far the most impressive part of the film. You feel like you're actually there because of it not letting up and not relenting. There are two big problems. One's a very uneven tone. I'd guessed without knowing that it was someone's first movie, it was almost as if they'd forgotten emotions totally from the actors for long stretches. But the big problem is probably some very dubious morals, both with how happy it is for soldiers and police to get mown down in the course of entertainment, Mm. but particularly also in its treatment of children, which perhaps might be a problem there, but it's not something we're used to seeing. At one point, our hero is confronted by a 12-year-old gang member with a machine gun, and has to debate what to do, and you're not really that sure what he's going to do, to be honest. At another, he's attacked by a bunch of kids led by someone we saw recruited by means of watching one of his friends thrown off a laptop into... Uh, <laughs> by watching one of his... <laughs> tossed off a rooftop into the streets below as the bad guy tries to get information from them. And I know that was a big problem for you, wasn't it, Hazel? It's that exact moment that I turned off. Yeah. yeah. It is an incredibly violent film. And that was okay to a point. I thought it was it was pretty gruff, but I could understand why they took that approach. But it's just a sensitivity of mine. I can't watch children or animals be hurt or, or die. I just can't do it. And I just felt sick at that point. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, no, <laughs> I don't mind yeah. missing the next hour or so, even if it is Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> just, just not for me. Had you seen the car chase stuff at that point? Well, as you know, I'm rather fond of uh, following Chris Hensworth on Twitter, and he's been releasing quite a few behind-the-scenes clips of things like that. So I'd seen the behind-the-scenes mechanics of that shot and how they did it. I imagine it is completely spectacular, but I've got no desire to watch another second of it, unfortunately. At one point, Chris Hemsworth puts a kid in the boot of his car, which uh, must have been quite a familiar experience for him, Hazel. (laughs) He knows how to do that, yeah. (laughs) Andy, you did watch the rest of it. I did, yeah. I liked it okay overall. The the film had two real strengths. One was the the action scenes, though they're not my favourite action scenes ever. It's shot in a very Hollywood style. But the main thing that worked for me in the film was Chris Hemsworth. While generally the movie lacked, well, it lacked a lot of things, story and real characters and such, but it lacked emotion. He really drew me in and I stuck with the film the whole time and I was with his character. For an action scene, I do prefer a wider angle and a, um, a more static camera and just being able to see where everything is and just watch. And Hollywood likes to get in close and, and throw the camera around on a piece of string. <laughs> there was some tonal dissonance for me as well. Generally, it's a very, very dark and gritty film. And yet, his name's Tyler Rake, which is clearly an Arnold Schwarzenegger cast-off name. And he <laughs> kills a couple of guys with a rake. And it's oh. just... that That's a bit goofy. And then uh, the number of uh, people, particularly faceless Bangladeshi police officers who get killed in the film, does become utterly ridiculous. Uh. I think, no, all of the armies of every country on the planet would have come in to stop this heinous body count by now. But it, it held me until the end and Thor can be thanked for that. 
<laughs> did you notice that so many of the people he mowed down all had masks on, covering up their face so I that did. they could shoot the same person again and again and again? Yep, yep, yes, I did. <laughs> There's an odd Netflix thing where there seems to be these action films that have a weird kind of nasty, violent edge to them mm. that you don't get in cinema. So I'm thinking there was the, the Ryan Reynolds thing a few weeks ago mm. and the Mark Wahlberg one. I don't know it's because they're not bound by wanting to get a PG-13 rating or something. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to see, because it is an 18, if they released mm-hmm. it in cinemas, whether they would want a, a 15 or lower and would have made some cuts. The only show in the cinema to uh, make them eligible for awards, though. Yeah, the Oscars have so. changed that this year, though. Um, so if it's streaming only, it's still in contention for the 2021 mm-hmm. Oscars. I think that's the right thing to do, isn't it? It should be. Is it made in a cinematic way? I mean, the, the stuff we talked about on TV generally is just so cinematic now. Mm-hmm. Devs looks like a movie, doesn't it? And Westworld, the new series, looks definitely like a movie. I started watching Extraction before we began recording this afternoon. I've got about half an hour to go. Should I watch the rest? It depends whether you like the first half. <laughs> I did. I enjoyed the action. Uh, the car chase you mentioned was really, really good as an action set piece. Yes, there are a lot of murders of faceless law enforcement and army officials and I would expect more of the same, but you can appreciate the action and the stunt work and how it's done. So I'm enjoying it, certainly from that perspective. And like Andy says, I am kind of rooting for Tyler Rake. I mm. do want to see mm-hmm. him find his way out of this somehow. He's already a mass murderer. You might as well do a bit more. I think you've answered your question. I wasn't listening properly, but I heard something about, something about Chris Hemsworth was tossing someone off and then Hazel stopped watching. That doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> <laughs> No, Chris Hemsworth didn't uh, didn't do that. Okay, it was uh, it was somebody else. He didn't toss anyone off on the <laughs> screen. <laughs> Not while Hazel was watching. It's really it's, that's really bad because we're talking about a twelve year old boy. So I can't. Really... It's okay. It's okay, Hazel. They show later on that you landed on a bouncy castle and had a good time. <laughs> okay. So how many rakes out of ten, Peter? I think I would give it six never ending action sequences out of ten. If you like innovative, chasey action stuff, then you might enjoy it, but it's not going to change the world. Six is fair. I like an action film, but you lost me a little bit when you talked about the camera work. Jason Bourne has a lot to answer for, basically, in terms of action movies. It's less queeze-inducing than that, though, I would say. Mm -hmm. I think it works in context. Yeah, I'm I'm very much on on the same page as you there, John. I, I can't stand shaky cam. I despise the Bourne films for that. This isn't as bad as that. Um, Stylistically, I would prefer a static camera, but it's not quite so bad in this, so I wouldn't worry too much about that. Mm -hmm. Worst comes to worst, you could watch just that sequence. Yeah. Uh, Hazel? I would like to recommend, uh, with a little bit of trepidation, uh, and explain why, it's a new mini-series on Apple+, and it's called Defending Jacob. It's eight episodes long, but only the first four have been released at time of recording. Although I'm really, really enjoying it at the moment, uh, I am only halfway through. So it's the kind of TV show that's really building up to something. So I'm really hoping that the payoff is great. Uh, but if it's not, you know, I might be on the podcast in a few episode time going, guys, it's lost all over again. <laughs> it stars uh, Chris, Captain America Evans as uh, Andy Barber. Michelle Dockery, who's from Downton Abbey, plays his wife, Laurie. And also Jaden Martell, who was the the Nazi troll from uh, Knives Out, plays Jacob. 
whom, as the title suggests, has to be defended, and he plays their 14-year-old son. The story is that uh, a local high school teenager in Jacob's class has been found murdered, and Chris Evans' character, who is um, the town's assistant district attorney, is leading the charge on the investigation. That is until his son, Jacob, becomes suspect number one. The acting from the three main stars is absolutely superb. All of the characters go through emotional hell uh, and they react in different degrees. But I can't see any Captain America when I look at Chris Evans' character. Um, Actually, maybe in the swimming pool, but that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Likewise, You get to see America's ass. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I might have said oh, that is America's ass when he got, when he got out. <laughs> Same for Michelle Dockery. She goes on a different journey, but it's really clear what she's going through by the way that she is acting. That's not really the right phrase, because when I say like she acts really well, you can't actually tell that she's acting, you know, which I think is a I think I think that's like the ultimate that is a good thing. Yeah, that's the ultimate level. Like, you know, when I'm watching certain actors, I'm like, oh, that's that's good acting. Yay. Like Jared Leto. Well, I'd never say good acting about him, but, you know, he's acting. <laughs> Whereas in this TV show, I just totally believe who they are and what they're going through. The only things that uh, annoy me slightly is that whoever the cinematographer is has put a bluish, greyish tinge on the camera so that everything appears that much more drab, which totally suits, you know, the mm. subject matter. but. There are no bright colours anywhere, you know, from right down to the costumes. Um, and that it can just get a little bit distracting, like everything is grey. I was trying to think, like, would I recommend this to someone who needs to be cheered up? Uh, because it is quite a dark subject matter TV show. And I kind of think maybe I would actually, because it's the kind of TV show that you can lose yourself in. Uh, the episodes are 45 minutes long and it has a plot that whilst it doesn't move forward at any sort of breakneck speed, it does have twists and turns within it. Um, so it's a kind of thing that you can lose yourself in. So yeah, I say it's taking its time. I don't know where it's going to go. I haven't read the book that it's based on, um, but so far, so good. I've seen three episodes so far. Mm-hmm. So it, did they put the first few episodes up yes. all at once? It's like the uh, the morning show. The first three episodes were there ready, okay. and now they're releasing one every Friday. So we watched the third episode straight after the second, thinking, oh, we're going to see the end. And then we're so disappointed that we couldn't see Ooh. the end. <laughs> oh, yeah. there's a fourth one now. <laughs> yeah. I think it is the sort of thing that, again, would work quite well every two or three days, rather than having to wait a week. So uh, had I known, I would probably have sat on it for a little longer and then watched them more close together. But uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it as well. I think it's good. And yeah, I'd I'd recommend it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like it as well. It feels like there's more and more good things popping onto Apple TV. I mean, you recommended Mm -hmm. a film, Hazel, a few weeks ago. Yeah, The Banker. Banker. Mm -hmm. Other than The Morning Show, no one seems to be talking about any of the shows that are on it. The reason for that is probably just the ability to watch it. I've got several months left on a free year of Apple TV Plus. But unlike Netflix and Prime and Now TV and Disney Plus, I can't just easily put Apple TV Mm -hmm. on the PlayStation or on my TV to watch it. And I think a lot of people will be in the same boat as me, and that's why not as many people are watching them. Various modern smart TVs can have an Apple TV app. We're watching it on a Samsung TV, but it's via the Fire Stick. 
can download mm-hmm. an app for the Fire Stick. I've got a 2018 smart TV, and LG originally said, no, it's not technologically advanced enough. Nonsense. <laughs> but apparently it is now magically coming on it. I've got a smart TV that has everything else built into it. So that extra shop of having to go into my Fire Stick to load up the Apple TV app to see what's on there kind of puts it off from browsing. A lot of us are probably in the same position where we have four or five different places to watch TV as well. And it mm-hmm. requires us to go and kind of look in the little crevices that might now store a show we haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just don't remember to do that. There's something I've noticed about Netflix algorithm, which is it pays no attention to what I'm actually doing. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. I, I <laughs> remember, rubbish. we're going back a while, but there was a, a Godzilla cartoon series. There was three episodes, like 45 minutes each. I watched the first one the day it came out. I watched the second one the day it came out. And Netflix didn't tell me about the third one for ages. And I was just amazed. It's like, come on, how? What do I really want to be watching Kimmy Schmidt? You know, well, actually, you kind of do. But like, it, was just surpri- <laughs> it was just surprising that I clearly expressed a preference. But it was uh, far Gary Netflix to, uh, is back. It must be in your house as well. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that bugs me as well, though, that you know the flash that says new episode on the icon? Hmm. Why doesn't it know whether or not you've already watched that episode? You've logged on as a person. If you've watched the most recent episode of that thing, don't have the new episode flag. When the new episode comes out, then you put up the new episode flag. It's not hard. (laughs) You should go work for Netflix then, Peter. Maybe I will. (laughs) So how many um, sad Captain Americas out of (laughs) ten? Uh, I would give it eight sad Captain Americans out of ten so far. We'll see in a, mm. about a month's time what, what how it's actually all turned out. Okay, we, we had this conversation about toaster dials and whether, you know, and, and you want a toaster that doesn't burn bread. We've had a conversation about how to know where to watch programs and whether you've known to see them. We should all get a butler, a butler <laughs> who makes toast and keeps track of our streaming habits. <laughs> Robo this butler. is the future, right? <laughs> or, or, or an actual butler, either way, you know, but just someone who lets you know, you know, no, sir, you've already watched that season of whatever, and here's your toast. I would love a butler. I did my newspaper in the morning. Or in John's case, one that beats him around the head says, don't watch that movie, it's terrible. <laughs> Go to bed. <laughs> Okay, that is the end of another Nerdfest episode. Thank you very much for listening. We will continue to bring you new episodes every two weeks. We're recorded remotely during these abnormal times just to bring a bit of normality back to our lives. Um, So our next episode will be out in two weeks' time where we'll be bluffing each other till kingdom come. Do check us out on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. But until next time, you've been listening to... A man who hopes Middleditch and Schwartz are looking for a third member... A man who swears his undying love for Leslie Nope. <laughs> a man who has seen that Chris Hemsworth is a far better actor than he is comedian. A man whose life is one long blurry action sequence. A man who is never ready to say bye-bye to little Sebastian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and a woman who is very much hoping that defending Jacob doesn't turn out to be like Lost. Hey. We'll see you next time. <laughs> bye. 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 Justice for Lost. (laughs) Actually, I think John did let Lost out of nerd jail. I think we struck a deal.
There was corruption involved. Yeah, the only reason he, he did that was because um, you were being a constant bias, bias judge on nerd courts. He was like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> this is true. So it was the, an antidote to corruption. <laughs> yep. More corruption. <laughs>